What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is Wheelbearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abual Salmon from Navigant Research. And I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives and her cat, Lucy. <laughs> Lucy. Uh, Lucy Van Pelt, right? Yes, she's yes exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Uh, well, welcome, Lucy, to the podcast. What's Lucy been driving? Uh, me crazy. That's what Lucy's been doing. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, I mean, when you need to get out of the house, you know, uh, you've had actually, Rebecca, you've had a couple of really good cars. This oh, week. Uh, I did. You've been driving nice stuff. I did. So I had I had a 2020 Bentley Flying Spur uh, first with the first edition package, which is $45,000. And what's actually interesting. That, that's for the package, not for the Flying Spur. It, it, exactly. Right. That's just for the package, for the first edition uh, markings or uh, accoutrements. So, accoutrements, yes. so, this, so we were actually <laughs> supposed to be in Seattle last week driving on a launch of this, of these, these vehicles. Um, but of course that was the first press trip for me personally, that was the first press trip that I got notified that was going to be canceled, which makes sense. It was in Seattle. So that wasn't going to happen. Uh, so what they ended up doing was dispersing all the vehicles to different parts of the country. And basically we had to do an at home ride and drive. I, you know, they made oh, a mistake though. What a tragedy. They, they made a mistake. Yeah. I did not get mine. Yeah, I, you know, no, I didn't get mine either. I mean, what's going on here? Well, I actually got two because the what? first what? because the first Jeez. one, the first one, as he's driving it up here, he was only about about I think about half, not even half a half an hour away. And it's like an hour drive for them. He hit a, a nail and had to turn around and go back, uh-huh. and then they had to resanitize this other the car that I ended up getting. And I'm sorry, I'm totally distracted because my nephew Jake just came in and he's trying to get Lucy out of like, my nope. office. Hi, Jake. <laughs> does she have uh, does she have claws? She does. Of course she has claws. Yeah, I'm not okay, a, so they have like a cats have this magical ability to make themselves like 10 pounds heavier when you want them. And they if they have the claws, they're like Velcro. That's excellent. So I have to say, so I have to say, I think he actually got her, but um I started using the Amazon app. Calm my cat, and I got to tell you, I don't know if it's just coincidence. It, it 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 could be totally. What is that when the placebo effect? Placebo effect. But, yeah. but it's been working. It's so when so she's been meowing a lot more ever since Linus passed away in January. Her brother. Well, she's so yeah. she is. I know. So anyway, so I'm sorry, but, but back to the flying spur. So <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so they had to go back to New Jersey and re-sanitize and sanitize a whole new one. So anyway, so I end up getting it later on in the day, which was fine, but obviously it's, you know, it, this, this vehicle, it's, it's, first of all, it's big. It's, it is a full size four door sedan or it's, it's really a saloon and designed you know for a driver in the front and a passenger in the back and you know a very important passenger at that 
But, you know, Sam, I was actually thinking about you when I was driving it because we've talked, uh, you and I talked specifically at the Ford Escape launch, but we've talked on this podcast as well, Dan, uh, about the the greenhouse, you know, the, the windows in these, in different vehicles and how at one point they got so small that like visibility was compromised. And this, I got to tell you in the flying spur, the windows are so small that visibility was really difficult. And it's one of the few times that my lack of height really came into play. Like I almost, I mean, Jake, when, when Jake was with me, I would have to have to ask him when I was making a left-hand turn because between the mirror and how, and how close I had to sit and how narrow the window is, my visibility was so compromised. It was actually easier to drive at night because I could see headlight headlights, headlights in it and such. It was just, Hmm. it was, um, yeah, it was really, I mean, I kept trying to play with the seat. The A pillar was is pretty big and it is right there. And it was, uh, you know, I, I took a bunch of pictures that I'll send to you guys so you can put them on. But I, I focused specifically on the greenhouse of the vehicle because the windows are so small. It was, it was really, it this wasn't is, always this fun. This is the real problem that designers need to start thinking about. You know, they, they do this mostly for design, you know, for aesthetic purposes. Sure. And when it compromises functionality in such a fundamental way, that's, yeah. that's really bad. Well, you know, and I think that yeah. with this, with the flying spur, it's for a couple of generations now, it's been difficult to really get a sense of scale from mm. looking at pictures of it. And so right. in pictures, and I think this is one of the reasons why the windows are small in a lot of cars, it, it looks dramatic, you know, it's got right. low roof. It's really hard to tell how big this thing is, though. And it, so, it's, yeah, it's it's, it's enormous, a big right? Vehicle. It's enormous. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's enormous. Now, it was you know it was lovely to to drive. It was you know because it's very very much of a saloon. It was floaty even with the dynamic drive. It's all wheel drive, but even with the dynamic mode, like in sport mode, there wasn't really a significant difference. You know, it's it's a touring car. It's not a sports sedan. It's not the GT or anything like that. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing to drive. I mean, we, uh, I mean, the numbers uh, are awesome. This is a 626 horsepower, 626 horsepower, a 6.0 liter engine, a W12 configuration for even more torque because the torque was insane. Yeah. It's a 664 pound feet of torque. And it's, it's got that, um, like people describe it as like electric motor style. So, you know, 1350 yeah. RPM, you got full torque. That's crazy. It, it was crazy. I mean, we, we had it in triple digits in, in, in seconds, literally yeah. seconds. And of course the roads are empty right now. Right. So, right. so I'm assuming you, know. you were able to actually try out the top speed. I think it's Bentley says it'll do 207 miles an hour and you have, you have the merit. I, I right? did, yeah, absolutely. You absolutely. can hit that on the merit. Uh, no, so we actually went over the Tappan Zee Bridge in it because you know it's a it's a brand new bridge miles an hour. and, and two hundred <laughs> miles an hour. New bridge, exactly. right? I was going to say the yeah. new Tappan Zee, right? Exactly. They could never catch me. So, yeah. <laughs> but no, it was it was really an experience to drive. Um, you know, it was it was a privilege. It was very much a privilege to drive. So so the total price on this thing so it starts at two hundred and fourteen thousand, and then there was an eighty eight hundred dollar sound system called name and aim naim 
We'd never heard of it. Uh, <laughs> Ask Alex Roy. He probably it, can tell you all about I, it. I have no doubt that he could. Um, <laughs> and then the Flying Spur, this black line specification, it did have, it had a real, it, it was all blacked out, which was really, really cool. So that was 4,700. Uh, the, the Flying Bee Radiator mas- mascot in black gloss, Four thousand eight hundred and sixty. But did it still light up though? It lit up, right? It lit up. It yeah, did. The wings. It did. The wings it did. Light up, yes. Right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and then, of course, the first edition specification package was forty four thousand seven hundred thirty five dollars for a grand total with a twenty seven hundred dollar destination of two hundred eighty one thousand one hundred seventy five dollars. Okay. So yeah, I know the numbers sound bonkers, but. And I I have not had the privilege of actually seeing one of these in person yet. Um, Well, there's only a few of them in the States. Right. Yeah. But I, and I kind of like, this is, it's weird. Like personally, I don't give much of a crap about supercars except for the engineering in them is bonkers. And and when I get a chance to sniff around them, I come away impressed, but like, you know, and, and a Bentley, this echelon of car is something different. And, you start to look at all of the detailing and all of the craftsmanship because you talk about like yes. what makes it worth that, and you I, go, you start to look at it, and you go, okay, it's it's it, a premium price, and it's you you get what you pay for. Every piece had purpose, like yeah. that's like every button moved with with purpose. Everything is gorgeous it, it, and it, fussed over, it, and oh, oh. <laughs> just no, it really, I mean. It's just spectacular. It's just spectacular. It really is. And, you know, you when you sit in it, you are very conscious of the fact that you're not in a normal car. You know, it just with the um, I should have recorded it and I, I I forgot. I when you turn the sat when you turn the car on the whole nav system and the screen rotates, oh, it rotates up. Yeah. yes, which is, you know, just so fun. I mean, Does I it thought play like the, the 2001 thing that also sprocks out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, the backs, I mean, sitting in the back seat, you know, Jake was a total baller back there. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it was, I mean, it's, it's a, it's very much a privileged kind of vehicle, you know, it's absolutely lovely. I mean, the, just, just the details on it throughout, you know, are, are unmistakable. As I said, I mean, you, every, every switch, every knob, there's just, they just never missed a trick in it. And this one was meteor blue. It was this beautiful blue. And the inside was just this gorgeous cream and blue color. And, you know, it was, it was just, I mean, it really, it was a, it was an amazing experience to drive for sure. Yeah. I see cars like this as just a real celebration of the, of the craft of, of, of extreme wealth. Well, yeah, it's definitely <laughs> yeah. an extreme wealth thing, but beyond that sort of like absurdity of why a thing like this exists, I think I go, I appreciate the, the design and engineering and thoughtfulness and really just, cause it's just a celebration of the craft. Yes. And what, what we can do as, you know, as a tr- as a craft, I guess uh, you, you know it, it's it's this weird thing, right? Like it's this thing that yeah, of, very of what's, rich of people what's who possible. don't actually yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> a celebration of what's possible when you have the resources to build anything. Yeah, yeah, and but it, and it's just it's so so beautifully done. Like I, I, yeah, I, I come out of a you know a background that is is just sort of visual and creative, and every little mm. 
every little detail in a car like this. And Rolls Royce is the same way too. You start to poke right. around one of those and you just and like, Aston and yeah. Aston Martin as well. Everywhere yeah. your eye lands is like, oh, somebody thought about this. It's yes. it's not like, oh yeah, we spat them out of an injection molding right. machine. Everything <laughs> is like very well done. And, and so it doesn't really matter like what's underneath it either, you know, because there's a lot, you know, there's, there's, they have to find economies. So there's shared parts, you know, there's Volkswagen stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of parts in here that are shared with the Audi A8 and A7, which yeah. is, you know, not a bad thing. Nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, cause it's, it's on that same, that same platform, that MLB Evo platform. Yeah. And I, and they've done such a wonderful job of, of evolving the Bentley look too. you know, it's, mm. it, it's dramatic. It looks like a Bentley. They've, they've changed up the, the sort of front, uh, the the visage, I don't know what you'd call it, but the, the you know the, the the lights are a little different. Um, it has it looks more like a, a big large single light, right? The, the fascia, sort of double, but yeah. yeah. Um, but it's got that distinctive Bentley grill. It looks like a Continental always has. You know, I, I'm not a Continental. A flying spur always has. Right. It, you know, no, it's it's very distinctive. I mean, it's certainly you know even in Greenwich, it got looks. For sure. Oh, that's uh, how you know you've made it. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, it has a presence, you know, yeah. and, you know, a funny. So, you know, when it arrived, uh, Jake and I went out for a drive in it and then we decided to get pizza because we're trying to support, you know, our <laughs> local restaurants. And uh, it turns out that other people wanted to support our local restaurant. And there was a line for pickup, like right on Putnam Avenue, which is like, it's like post road, like route one. Mm-hmm. And so we're sitting there in line waiting for pizza as, and they're bringing it out to each car. And we're like, we definitely have the nicest car in the pizza line. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Even in Greenwich. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's hard to do in Greenwich. There's a lot of nice stuff there. So <laughs> there is, yeah, it, it was pretty funny. Uh, but no, you know, it just and again, as you say, it's it's really very much a celebration of touring. You know, it's I mean, that's what it's about. Um, it's it's not what I would call a really engaging drive driving experience. You know, obviously with that engine, it's incredible. Uh, but you know, it's it's. Uh, it's, it can be floaty. It can be a little bit floaty as you, as you just, you know, kind of truck along. Um, and as I said, the, the diet, the sport mode wasn't, didn't tighten it up as much as I wanted it to. I wanted to have a little bit more engagement, but that's what the continental GT is for. So this, this is, this is for touring. This is for Sunday drives and it does it absolutely, absolutely spectacularly. This was actually the first Bentley that I got a chance to, to, to spend time in and, and to really drive, you know, I think I, you know, I, it's tough because really only Jake can could, could go with me and I would have loved to have, you know, driven my mom around in it or something, you know, what a great experience for her. So, you know, it's unfortunate it had to be this week. I, even another month, possibly I could have driven her, but it was still, you know, just an incredible, incredible uh, experience to have. So yeah, it, it was really cool. And then I had the opposite effect as well. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. I had a really, I had a, a, a GMC Acadia as well, which I, I love that, that lineup of vehicles for them. Yeah, the Acadia is not bad. It's, I mean, that's, did you get mistaken for an Uber in Greenwich? In yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this was actually a really beautiful color and it had the most gorgeous white interior. It was crazy 
totally impractical, but absolutely, absolutely beautiful. I mean, they actually did, they did a really, really, really nice job with it. So the Acadia is, is a, it's a full size car based SUV. It was actually one of the first large SUV uh, crossovers that came out uh, now, like 10 years ago, I think at least. Uh, um. Yeah, 2007. Yeah, I was going to say, because I was actually involved when they first came out. They had a lot of uh, engine calibration issues because it was it was 2006, seven time frame. And, you know, the recession was starting to happen. Uh, Fuel economy was was top of mind. And they had calibrated. I believe it was the Acadia. Uh, they calibrated it really to maximize fuel economy, and it was terrible. Nobody liked it on the ride and drive that we were on out in California. And they actually brought a number of us back a few months later uh, to uh, when they after they had recalibrated the engine, and and it was it was fantastic. And I got to drive around uh, with um, Grace Liebline, who ended up being becoming she was an engineer there and she ended up becoming the president of gm do brazil before she retired and you know she and i were at the proving grounds just talking about how that balance between needing to get a certain level of fuel economy and satisfying what the consumer wanted so it's you know every time i i drive in in one of the uh, lambda platform vehicles i always think about how much work went into them and they're actually really it was it was women that that were the primary engineers on these vehicles so it's always fun yeah the, the second generation acadia actually got closer to more of a mid-size than a full-size because yes. when they you know for the for the second when they launched the second generation of the lambda platform they wanted to differentiate the three more than they had before the originals you know all on the original the, versions of the of the Buick Enclave, the Acadia, the Chevy Traverse, Traverse and also right. the, the Saturn Outlook, yes, they all had oh yeah, the Outlook. They, they all the had Outlook. exactly the same dimensions, right? Um, you know, so they were all exactly the same size, and there was it was hard to make the case for why you would go for one over the others, except for maybe the Enclave, which definitely had a more premium feel to it. Yes, I I liked the Enclave quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, the Enclave yeah. was gorgeous. But, but you know, this the second go around, they they split them up a little bit more. They made the Acadia a little shorter. It's about seven inches shorter than the others. Um, you know, it the and it's the only third a five row passenger. Seat. Uh, well, it's available oh, with a, with my, an optional mine third row. Mine was only five passenger. Yeah. I should say yes. You can get it with a third row seat, but it's really more of an emergency seat. Right. Um, it's not really usable for adults. And then you know the Enclave. Um, you know, they made it a little bit low, you know, it's, it's the Enclave is the same length as the, the, the Traverse now, but it's a little bit lower and wider. So it has distinctly different proportions from the, from the Chevy, you know, yeah. and then the Chevy is more the traditional family vehicle. But I love, I mean, this Acadia, we, we packed that thing. Uh, it, it swallowed up. We had to bring a bunch of boxes, basically my, my, the remains of my father's library and we were bringing them over to storage and it was like eight banker boxes. And once we got those in, we were like, wow, we still have half a car left over. I mean, it was unbelievable. We stuffed even more stuff in there and you know, it's just, it's great as this, this one in particular, as you say, Sam, the, the, the third row is really for emergencies only in the, in the Acadia, but as a five passenger, it was just incredibly comfortable. It actually, I believe mine had captain's seat. So it may have even only been, yeah, mine was only a four passenger. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. Oh, wait. No, I lie. It did have it did have the third row. It wasn't you know, it's not terrible. Yeah, I'm just looking at my pictures of it. It's it's not you know, it's it's relative. It's definitely it's definitely a lot more compact. It's for kids. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a best best saved for for kids and small adults. Times like these (laughs) that I I enjoy the fact that I'm significantly less than six feet tall. (laughs) I fit just about anywhere. (laughs) Except for an airplane. (laughs) Airplane, uh, even I am uncomfortable in coach. Right. So the Acadia, though, it's, you know, it's a great family vehicle. And the one that I had, it's a 3.6 liter V6. I think it has a nine speed transmission, which um, performed really pretty flawlessly. I mean, I, I, you know, just didn't have any issues with it. It's really well appointed. The one that I had was the Denali, which is the top of the line with all wheel drive. So it, it the vehicle starts at 29,800. Mine was 52,435 because it was a Denali. So it had basically absolutely everything in it. Uh, so the, I think the, is it the standard Acadia that's at 29 or? Yes. Yeah. Think, that's just yeah. the very, very, right. the, the very base. Yeah. Okay. I don't think there's any $29,000 Acadias running around. Yeah. That's so, just or, the starting or, price of it. Yeah. What's the uh, your impression of the interior quality? I know it's hard too because you drove it back to back with a Bentley. But, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> but like, I was actually, you know, I was very impressed with the interior. I think I think they did a really nice job with it. Okay, because that's one of the things that, like, this I think this is very similar to the uh, Cadillac XT6, it, 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 like powertrain wise. And I know that there's there's some sharing going on. The XT6 is, is a little bit distinct, but um, I haven't had the Acadia. I had the XT6. And one of the things I found was that price wise, when it starts to really creep up there, you're starting to nudge into the 80s and 90s. Um, it, that interior that feels nice, maybe at 52, feels not quite as nice. Like you start to go where the money go, you know? Yeah. I mean, once you start, you know, this is, we've talked before about whether they've been good stewards of the Cadillac brand and they haven't been, you can't, there should not be that, that much visible to the consumer. There shouldn't be touch points that are the same between a GMC and a Cadillac. I just, I think that Cadillac needs well, to be different. I mean, and, you know, to, to their credit though, you know, when you look at the XT6, you know, you don't really see components that are common to an Acadia. It doesn't, you know, they look different, but that doesn't mean that they necessarily look better. Yeah. I think it was more yeah. of the, like the quality of the materials and the way it yeah. felt and just like, it's, it's nice, but it's it's more in line with the Acadia nice versus like what it should be for yeah, yeah. You know, significantly more. Um, but that powertrain was great. I I had that. If that's the same powertrain that was in the XT6, it was it was great. It, it is. It's it's the three point six yeah. liter with now, nine speed. The yeah. only thing with the GMC, it has that stupid lever gear shifter oh, thing. It's a nightmare. I hated that thing. I, yeah, that. So everybody's trying to do that, and I'm not sure. I don't think that that. Um, uh, GM is is terribly successful with their iteration of it. I no. see what they're doing, you know, and it's not that different than um, what Honda and Acura have done. You know, where I know. Uh, no, got- that's. Uh, I think you're. Um, the the Acadia doesn't have the button push buttons. Oh, it yeah. doesn't. It's got it's they, got a lever. It's a, no, it still has Acadia, a mechanical lever. No, the Acadia. It has that five, yeah. but five. It's a horizontal stripe. 
just below the radio. All right. Hang on. Let me. I'm looking at pictures of the Acadia on the the media site right now. I'm looking at pictures of the Acadia that I had in my driveway. I'm looking at pictures of the Bentley. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, I will, I will, I will trust you because I, I just the on the so uh, on the media had, site they still have pictures of the 2018. So I think oh. they did refresh it last year, yeah. didn't they? So this one has it has a it has a big button for park, yeah. and then it has a lever forward for reverse, and then neutral, and then forward for drive. Oh wait, wait, you you push it or like a you lever pu- or like like, it, like you, um, it's like a tab, it's like a tab that you yes. have to almost like. Like with your finger, with a single finger, you pull it towards yourself. Oh, yeah. That's not that's not what I'm picturing. Like, I thought I think Sam, I think this is where Sam jumped in. Like, I'm picturing like, didn't they have like buttons where like there's one that you pull down and then another that you press? Yeah, I think that's what they refreshed. I think they refreshed that one. Okay. So this one, because that was a nightmare. Oh yeah, this sounds like it also sucks. Yeah, it 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 does. (laughs) But I do. I think it's better than the original original one. But I could be mistaken. But you know, the one, this one had the had the the buttons. The gear shifter is is across. It's a five buttons horizontally. I just and it sits like below the radiator and above where like you would put your cell phone or something. Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm looking at it right now, and actually, the I think what you're thinking of, Rebecca, might be the uh, the terrain. The terrain. Oh, had, that had was the, worse. Had, had a bad push button system because they yes you're previously right. the the Acadia yeah. did have a traditional mechanical shifter. Um, so they they went to a push button system that sounds like it's it's not really much better than what's on the Acadia on the terrain. It is better than the terrain, though, because I remember driving the train. Yes. And it is definitely better than the terrain. And, you know, I mean, the the leather that they used is very nice. There's nice detailing. The top stitching is there. It's still family friendly because you have to keep that in mind. You know, there's still I mean, they're you know, this is a family vehicle and you know there's there's a lot of storage and cubby holes and and things like that so you know and it's it's a nice easy vehicle to drive i just and i think that you get used to that lever push button thing it's just not something that you want to have to get used to you know you want familiarity so i'm also driving this week i i keep getting double booked which is difficult especially this when we're not even supposed to drive um so i have the subaru ascent and i have the toyota highlander and both of them it's just so nice to have like a normal gear shifter (laughs) in there you know i but i but the you know the acadia i will say i don't think that the gear selector is a reason to not purchase i do think that in the terrain that may have been a reason to not purchase. And you're absolutely right, Dan. It was definitely uh, Sam. It, it was the, it was the terrain that was that was really difficult. But you know the 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 Acadia is. I like the size of it. It 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 isn't as definitely not as large as the Enclave, and you do feel that it is more upscale than the Traverse. So if you're shopping these this size of vehicle, and you basically will only have four people in because this did have the captain's chairs, then I think it's a really good selection. If you always or consistently have five or six people, then you've got to look at the Enclave or the Traverse. Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so they're calling it um, electronic precision shift, by the way, <laughs> which, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But I know it, can, it, it really does, it like, else. <laughs> this is, uh, it's interesting that you, we're talking about the ascent and the um, the Highlander because I'm, I'm thinking like this 
it really competes in that segment. It's a very competitive uh, set. It, it is. Uh, and it Absolutely. Like the Grand Cherokee and just the, the pilot and a lot of, a lot of competition here. And, and so it does yeah. it hold up or are there reasons to actually purchase it versus reasons to like the shifter? <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I do think that it's very much a personal preference. I, in, you know, I'll talk obviously about, the Ascent and the Highlander next week, but in my quick you know, drives around with them so far, um, I think the GMC really holds its own very much so. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, gets down to price and aesthetics really. I have to say, and, 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 and you know, person and passenger size too. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, if it's big enough for through, it's like, it seems like it's about the right size for that. And, uh, it, it, it's it, family, like in terms of that family vehicle, like, I, I think it has all the sort of the right ideas to, especially in Denali trim to uh, appeal to, to those decision makers, you know, especially if it's like, I'm thinking how we made the decisions for the Grand Cherokee. It was, it was less mm-hmm. of what I really like in a car, more of like what my wife likes in a car, because it's like, well, you're going to drive it. And you have to make sure that, cause I really wanted a Durango and she didn't like it. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, so what do you like? Like, let's, let's find a few things. Um, and that's really important. And every time I've been in one of these, uh, this particular platform from GM, like they all seem pretty well thought out with that in mind, like who's using it and how is it set up for that person? Yeah, no, it is. It's very much a, you know, it's a female friendly car, which isn't to say that it doesn't appeal to men. It's just that I think ergonomically, it's really well thought out. Things, you know, switches and buttons are where you want them to be. I, as I said, there's a lot of storage, you know, I like for, for a family of four, I think it's a great vehicle, especially if you are going out of town a lot or, you know, you're, you're utilizing the cargo space because, and also there's a space in between the two kids, like the two seats are captain's chair. Exactly. If you talk to my mother, she will you, tell you. you want, <laughs> I mean, even, even, even when there isn't a pandemic, you still want some social distancing between exactly. your kids and the backseat of the car. Well, and you know, honestly, the dog likes having his own row because he can stretch out a little bit. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And, and in terms of the stuff I like in a car, every time I drive uh, one of these, I'm I'm impressed with the the way they ride and handle, and they, they seem pretty well well balanced. And like they spent some time in and on the you know dynamic side of it too, where they they're fine to drive. So yeah, no, they are. It's it's you know, it drives smaller than it is. And it handles well. It was very well behaved. It just, it was, you know, it's comfortable. It's a comfortable car to drive. And by that, I mean, it's familiar. It's not, you know, there's not, there's nothing weird about it or that you're like, why is it doing that? Except for that shift. Except for the shifter. Except shift for the shifter, which I actually, you know, I got used to after a while, which is always the goal, right? Is how long does it take to get used to it? I just, again, it's, it's not a reason not to purchase. I just think it's something that is a little bit different. It does free up a lot of space. Yeah, but see, in this center console. So would a column shift, you know? Well, yeah, but I hate column shift shifters. They're yeah, well, so I, mean, I think we, we've got to, we've got to get used to the fact that, that you know, column shifters and and you know, just traditional shift levers are going away mm-hmm. and they're not coming yeah. back because they take up space, you know, it, they you know, there has to be a mechanism that goes in there somewhere, you know, and right. so they're, they're a pain to package and variations of either the push buttons or, you know, the rotary shift knob 
are what we're going to see on pretty much everything going forward. Yeah, I think the rotary it's shift knob is really the best solution. Yeah, so I agree. Um, and and speaking of future technologies or current that have just come up, I the adaptive cruise control I found to be confusing. So the way that you have to set it, most cars it just it defaults to adaptive cruise control. This does not. And so I had to play with it and fidget with it. And again, it was one of like, and it, it tells you, and, and, you know, we won't get into touchscreen and, and non-touchscreen, <laughs> but it was, I had to like read, <laughs> I actually had to read while I was on the highway trying to set cruise control to figure out what it was telling me. And again, it's one of those things that once you know how to do it, it's fine. It just caught me off guard because I wasn't expecting to have to read what the, my cruise control was telling me. And so it's like, press this button twice, press this button again, if you want it, don't press that. And I was like, oh my goodness. Once I did it once, then, then I, I think I only, I think I only had to press it once again, but it, again, it was one of those things. It's like, why is it like that? Just most cars nowadays just default to adaptive cruise control. So I don't know if you guys get a chance, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. It's been a while since I drove the, drove the Acadia. Uh, so I don't remember the, the details of the setup, but, um, it does, it does sound familiar that it had some weird quirks to it. I know GM's done some weird things with their cruise control setup over the years. Yes. Yeah. And, and so hopefully that, that stuff will get ironed out as well. So. All right. That's what I've been doing. <laughs> well, Sam, how did the, how did it go with the e-tron? Yeah. So I had the, Finally had the e-tron for a full week. Um, you know, I had driven it, um, what, April of last year or so, May of last year um, out in California. We drove from uh, from Napa up to Tahoe. Uh, but this time, I, you know, I got the chance to really, um, you know, spend some, some time with it. And I wanted to find out, you know, in regular driving, how much real range it could have, you know, that it actually had. Because one of the complaints about the e-tron, you know, the e-tron is Audi's first volume production electric battery electric vehicle. And it's, you know, rightly gotten some criticism for its range, you know, because, you know, it's kind of in the same, you know, at, the, at least at the bottom end of the price class against, um, you know, the Tesla Model X, you know. So the Model X is kind of its natural competitor in this space. and. The e-tron is only rated at 204 miles on the EPA uh, driving cycle, whereas the Model X, you know, depending on which configuration you get, you can get up to about 300 miles of range. And generally, you know, Teslas have much better um, EPA label range than, you know, any other EV. And we'll, one of the stories we've got later, we'll talk about that. But, um, you know, I, I, Put about, uh, I went out over the course of several days, you know, driving for about an hour, hour and a half each day, just putting miles on this thing, you know, driving around various routes to see how far it could actually go. And by the time that I pulled into the Electrify America station down the road from my house, I had put, uh, I had 210 miles on it uh, or 212 miles on it. And I had seven miles left showing on the range estimate. So say, you know, 219, 220 miles. So I actually did a little bit better than the EPA range. Although because of the, the moderate temperatures I had, I didn't have to use the heat or cruise control or anything like that. I did use wipers 
because uh, we did have some rain. Um, and this particular one that I was driving had the optional 21-inch wheels, which are generally going to give you, you know, that's going to cut into the range because they're heavier and they've got more rolling resistance and more inertia. But, you know, in general, you know, hitting that 200-mile mark, you know, is is always a good thing. And to be honest, you know, unless you are driving long distances all the time, in which case you might want to reconsider, you know, whether an EV is the is the right vehicle for you at this point. But, you know, for the average driver that drives, you know, 50, 60, even 80 miles a day, anything over, you know, 200 miles of range or more on an electric vehicle really is more than adequate. Um, you know, it's only in comparison to certain other vehicles where it starts to look inadequate. And, you know, I think, you know, Audi should be able to do better with what they have, you know, because this thing has a 95 kilowatt hour battery pack in it, but it weighs 5,700 pounds, you know, which is, this wow. is a heavy beast How of a How much of that is the battery? Uh, about 1,400 pounds is the battery. Wow. Uh, what does fourteen weigh? Um, depends, you know, like a, a, a fully dressed Chevy small block, uh, you know, with all the accessories on it and everything about 400 pounds. Wow. So batteries are definitely a, a lot heavier than internal yeah, combustion right. engines, even with yeah. all the other but stuff. Electric, see, but electric motors are lighter, right? Like our electric, electric can, motors are lighter, can, can but be. batteries are, but battery, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, an electric motor, like, you know, like the ones in the, uh, in the e-tron, you know, weigh under a hundred pounds. Okay. You know, they're. I think they're they're probably about sixty or seventy pounds, so they're not that. Are heavy. they? They're they're not permanent magnet though, right? Like, or are they? Uh, the e-tron, I believe, is permanent magnet. Okay, yeah. all right. I expect a permanent magnet yeah. uh, motor to be much heavier, but oh, okay. Yeah, no, they're no because they're they're not that big. Yeah, you know, they're, they're 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 fairly small. Um, but the you know the the thing is you know this this thing has a lot of features on it. You know, it's a it's a heavy vehicle. Um, so that really cuts into that range a lot because it takes, it's a fair bit of work. And the other thing is, you know, when they launched the e-tron, Audi went very conservative on how they use the battery. So even though it has 95 kilowatt hours of worth of cells in there, they only use 88% of that. So there's only 83 and a half kilowatt hours actually available, which is, you know, quite a bit less than what you get in a long range Model S or Model X. They're both hundred kilowatt hours. Um, so that, you know, that cuts into it, but still, you know, it's not as efficient, uh, or at least on paper, it's not as efficient as the, as the Tesla's, but it's, it's, you know, I think for the reality is it's good enough. And the other thing is the e-tron does support, uh, 150 kilowatt charging. And so you can actually charge it up fairly quickly. You know, I pulled in, I had about 3% charge left on the battery. And I pulled in, plugged it in, and then, you know, took a phone call, um, you know, and I was on the phone for, you know, about 40 minutes. And by the time I was done with the call, you know, it was full, like, you know, just over, it was about 45 minutes to go from 3% to 100% state of charge. So, you know, and if you go to 80%, um, you know, which is what, you know, that's where they start to taper off uh, the charge, you know, you can do that in under 30 minutes. So, you know, it's, it's really not that inconvenient and, you know, it does, the e-tron does come with, um, with a charging cable that has, uh, you can 
plug two adapters onto it. One is to plug it into a standard 110 volt outlet, uh, you know, and, char- and slow charge it that way. Or if you have um, a 240 volt outlet in your garage, a, a standard dryer plug, a NEMA 1450 dryer plug, it's got an adapter. You just plug it into the thing and you plug, plug into that and you get, uh, I think it's 10 kilowatt charging with that. So you can, you can easily charge it up overnight without having to spend, you know, several hundred dollars more on getting a, a, a level two charger installed in your garage. So, yeah. you know, the, the range, you know, is actually pretty good. You know, it's, it's fine. You know, it's not, it's not spectacular, you know, especially if you compare it to say, you know, the Kona Hyundai Kona EV or Chevy Bolt, you know, both of which are rated at 259 miles and can easily get that. And, you know, if you, if you, drive especially the bolt if you drive it with the the in the low range you know where you get the maximum regen you can easily get a bolt over three over 300 miles of driving without without trying very hard the thing but go ahead okay the thing with the e-tron too is that you know it's what struck me when i drove it was that it's just so normal you forget you're driving an, an ev and i love that yeah, well, that and that's that's the thing, you know. When they did the launch of the Etron uh, in September 2018 in San Francisco, I was there. I was talking to um, to uh, some of the folks from Audi, and so you know, what are they? You know, obviously, you know, people are going to see the Model X as the chief competitor to this. And they said, well, you know, really, we're not. They said we're not targeting the Model X. And how much of that statement was because they didn't actually you know, in, in terms of range, they didn't, they knew it wasn't going to be fully competitive or just, they weren't really, they really weren't trying to do that. And I think it, it's a, it's the reality is somewhere in between, but you know, the, what they said was, you know, we designed this to be an Audi first, you know, yeah, and then, you know, and then it happens to be electric. So when you get inside, if you've, if you've been in any contemporary Audi, you know, an A7, A8, Q7, Q5, Q8, you get in, you climb into the e-tron. It feels just like any other Audi. There is nothing about this that is going to surprise you about the way it looks or feels or the materials. Everything works just like an like you would expect in an Audi. And so, for for people that like Audis, it's a great choice, you know. And it happens to be electric. Um, you know, if you know if an Audi's not for you, well, you know, I mean, if if you weren't interested in any other Audi, you probably wouldn't be interested in this one. Um, you know, and there, and there's other choices available for you in that case, but you know, it's it is very, um, very ordinary. You know, very, very. You'll feel very comfortable in it. You won't. It doesn't feel like a science experiment. Right. So so I went on the. I was fortunate to go to on the launch in Abu Dhabi, and we actually drove from Abu Dhabi down to the border with Oman, which was a good hour and a half, almost almost actually over two hours driving. And then when we were sitting there for lunch, then they recharged everything up and we drove back up and we actually got lost. Uh, My driving partner desperately needed to use the restroom. And I have been to Abu Dhabi a number of times. So I was trying to tell him where to go. He made the wrong turn, which is very easy to do in this one particular intersection. And we ended up getting, you know, driving around and we never once thought of range and we had been driving all day. And that to me was really a testament of just how comfortable we were in it. That, you know, while we're doing this kind of driving around this crazy city, we just never thought of, oh my gosh, 
you know, and and we were nowhere close to losing range because we we weren't getting warnings or, you know, wasn't communicating with us that there was any kind of issue at all. But it, to me, it really just spoke to just how normal I actually would have loved for them to have just called this like either Q6E or something and just gave it a more normal name because I think it just, it just slots into their lineup with any other vehicle and it just happens to be electric. So I, yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of it. Yeah. You know, and when I, when I interviewed uh, Matt Mustafi, who's uh, the manager of uh, e-tron stuff at Audi um, back at the LA auto show, we ran it We had that interview on the show uh, in December, early December. Um, you know, one of the things that they talked about was, you know, with the, with the naming, you know, they, they named this e-tron, you know, and, Etron is going to be Audi's brand for plug-in vehicles going forward, just as Quattro is for everything with all-wheel drive. You know, and they see this as the, which this has, know, the, by the way, too. Yes, it does. You know, and so you know they see this as the you know like the Ur Quattro, the original Quattro Coupe from 1983 or 84. You know, this is the electric equivalent of that. This is the Ur Etron. And, you know, they're going to have all these other e-trons going forward. And that's the branding they're going to use on everything that has a plug. You know, so you've got the e-tron Sportback coming later this year, which is basically, you know, this, the same vehicle, but with, you know, a, a fat kind of a fastback roof line. Uh, and speaking of which, you know, the, the Sportback, they're making, based on their experience so far with the battery, they're making some adjustments with the battery management. So they're going to bump it up to using 92% of the the battery capacity and doing some other uh calibration changes so it should get up to a rated range of somewhere around 225 miles with the with the sport back and eventually the this one the wagon will get those same changes as well um and then the, the gt the is that GT, over the air i'm sorry can they do that over the air uh n- no uh, that okay. won't be an over-the-air change, uh, okay. and the 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 existing e-trons that are already built won't get those changes. But that'll come as a, a mid-cycle update to the okay. to the e-tron wagon. Okay, I didn't know if um, it was like a software thing they could do. No, no, it's it's not because they actually made some some physical changes as well to the to the battery. Um, so the uh, you know the e-tron GT, which is based on the the Porsche Taycan, and then the Q the Q4 e-tron, you know, is coming next year. So Starting with the Q4, you know, they will, it will be, you know, it'll be a combination of e-tron with other badges, you know, like the, the traditional Audi, you know, alphanumeric badging. Um, just well, this, just this one be is cool, the only one yeah. that is just e-tron. Right. Okay. Uh, there, there so they, is, took my, they took my advice. I'm going to sell yeah. them, send them a bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, send, yeah, send, send, it, send an invoice to Matt. Yeah, yeah exactly. He'll, he'll, he'll sign off. You know, the thing that continues to stick out to me is that, uh, yeah, maybe it's, it's an Audi for Audi people, but it's also um, because it's an Audi, it means that you're going to get that performance every single time over and over and over again, you know, just like the, the Taycan, same, same kind of thing. It, it'll, it'll rip off, you know, uh, acceleration run after acceleration run after acceleration run. It's been, uh, carefully tested and vetted and, and poked and prodded and just, uh, and when you need parts, you won't have to wait six months for them. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's one of the real <laughs> strengths and, and one of the things that, uh, you know, performance and range aside would, would really put me into 
you know, the Audi, uh, you know, because the, the other ones that we mentioned are all viable too. like the bolt. Absolutely. I really like the bolt. Um, but if you're looking for that luxury experience, you know, now you, you can get it with the Audi and it's going to be. Yeah. Well, the, and the, you know, the other main competitor right now in the U S market would be the Jaguar I-Pace. Right. Which is you also know, the, fantastic. Like I, I, yeah. And, and the, but the I-Pace is a little bit smaller, yep. you know, it's a little bit tighter inside. Um, you know, so if what you're looking for is, you know, and size wise, the e-tron, you know, is in between the Q5 and the Q7, but closer to the Q7. Right. So it's, it's roughly, that's almost the same size as the Q8. Um, you know, so it's, it's really roomy for five passengers, lots of, and like 28 feet of cargo space behind the second row. Uh, so, you know, there's plenty of room. There is one aspect of the e-tron that I absolutely hate. Uh-oh. The, the climate controls. Audi has gone to this new MMI version that features dual touchscreens. <sighs> the top touchscreen is reserved for media, navigation, and settings. The lower screen below it is for climate controls. You know, nobody it who is, does dual touchscreens does them well. It's just a bad idea. Stop it. Well, it, even, even if it was a single big touchscreen, with the same interface, it would still suck. It's not the fact that it's a dual touchscreen that's the problem. It's a terrible interface. What is that? You know, <laughs> just just give me three simple dials, you know, for temperature, direction, and fancy. But that's not the that's future, Sam. That's not the future. The future, well, the future is, sucks. Yeah, the future is wasted motion and frustration, and you just want to. I mean, punch just, that thing. Just, try, just <laughs> trying to figure out how to. Just trying to, you know, the, I, I went for a drive with my wife to, you know, to let her experience this thing, and you know, it was a little chilly outside, so we had the windows closed, and the, the windshield was starting to fog up, and just trying to figure out how to get the air to blow to defog the windshield was maddening. I could not do it while driving. You know, this is a horrible interface, and this is the same interface Audi's using on all their. Their current, you know, all their new stuff, you know, just stop everybody, every manufacturer, just stop <laughs> with putting the climate controls in the touch. Screen, I agree. Please I yes, don't ever I do agree. it again. It's a safety we issue. Agree. And it's like Wait, all three of us yeah, agree because I yes. think it is a safety issue. And every, every time I yes. bitch about it, everybody's like, well, how often are you going to mess with the climate control? It's like, honestly, no, look, if I need full defrost, I need it quick <laughs> because all of a sudden it's snowing and my windows are foggy and I, I don't want it to be an auto auto doesn't know what to do with that. Like I, yeah. I need it and I don't want uh, auto will make auto is fine for maintaining whatever temperature you set it at. But if you want to switch it to a different mode, it, it's it's terrible you know you, yeah. you shouldn't have to mess with it like that so um you know the the e-tron you know starts um current starting price is seventy five thousand uh in the u.s for the for the premium plus and the prestige starts at 79.1 um the one i had was was the prestige and had a few other options on there um came to a total of eighty six thousand dollars eighty five seven ninety with delivery but you can buy one out of stock you can go get one you can buy you can buy one out of stock there's plenty <laughs> there's plenty of stock at audi dealers they're, they're not selling de at dealers right at dealers they're, yes at dealership <laughs> service department with yes complete service See, department that will thing, take right? care like, of you everybody gives dealers crap right and then all of a sudden when you have that other experience you're like oh actually some of the stuff they do is pretty good yeah. <laughs> you know and, and and you know because Volkswagen Group hasn't yet sold two hundred thousand vehicles, you still it's still eligible for the full seventy five hundred dollar federal tax credit. So you know the base model you know starts uh, so you'd be at sixty seven five 
you know, for the base model as a starting price. I'm sorry. That's a really um, good deal for what's going to be a really well-made car. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, so, you know, if you're, if you're looking for, you know, a, an EV tall wagon or SUV, if you must, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely worth taking a look at this thing. You know, it's, it, it's a really nice vehicle. Tall wagon. You know what they could have, they could have named it in German. They could have called it an Uberwagen. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, what, what yeah. was your, what was your price on, on the one that you uh, drove? The one I drove uh, was 85,790 and it was pretty much loaded. It had pretty much, yeah. pretty much every option. Okay. I personally would skip the uh, the fifteen hundred dollar twenty one inch wheels and go with the the nineteen inch aero wheels yeah. Uh, yeah. instead because uh, you know the with the twenty ones you know the ride quality does suffer and it's it's also it has an impact on efficiency and range um, so you will get a little more you'll probably get a couple more few more miles of range with the nineteens and frankly I think the nineteen the nineteen inch aero wheels actually look probably look really good i mean the 21s look good too but the 19s still look really good as well and you'll have a more comfortable ride and and better uh better efficiency yeah we had so the ones that this they estimate we didn't have exact pricing yet the one i drove it was 82 82 795 uh and so but again that was more of an estimate that was last year um and they mentioned 1920s and 21s but again, yeah. I think that some of that yeah, has so, evolved. Yeah. So the, the base model has 18s on it, I think. And then there's there's 19s and 20s available. 19s, 20s, and 21s available as options. So now so. does the uh did does the European rating system give a different number for the range? Yes. Yes, it does. Okay. Uh so in Europe they use um the WLTP. Uh, test cycle, which is uh, the world the world light duty test protocol, which they um, they started um, adopting in Europe in the fall of 2018, and so in Europe it's rated at I think 270 I think, miles. Okay, we had 259 was our estimate. Okay, they, uh, maybe it was us. 259. Yeah, uh, so yeah, 259, okay. 260. Um, but the WLTP cycle is definitely not as realistic it's uh, you know, it's better it's better okay. than the old nedc test right. protocol that they used right uh, it's it's definitely much better than that but really um the epa test cycle is actually the most realistic one out there right now anywhere in the world well yeah because uh, what i wrote when i drew what i wrote was it'll the estimate they were at the time they were estimating and i wrote 200 to 210 miles and it came out at 204 yeah. right so yeah i think that that was very very realistic yeah um and you know one of the stories I've got on the uh, on the rundown for uh, after we're done with uh, with Dan's vehicle is about uh, real world range. So we'll, we'll get to that. While you guys were all in highly luxurious vehicles, uh, I was in the for the little driving I did. I was in the uh, 2022 at a Yaris XLE, which is a Mazda two. Um, but it man, it's not a delightful car. I just it's it's light and tiny and I love small cheap cars because they by their very nature they they force clever solutions that aren't expensive. You know, just uh one of the details I just was geeking out about was just the way there's there's just a tiny cut in the rear bumper cover for you to get your hand in there and the uh switch to release the rear hatch is is 
under there. It's not, there's not a big grab handle or anything. You know, it keeps the hardware cost down. It's just molded into the bumper. It's, it's clever stuff like that, that you see in that, that small inexpensive class of cars that you don't see anywhere else uh, because they've, they've had to bring it in for a price. And I don't know that those kind of things make me, I, I, I get verklempt <laughs> when I see them. What, what is the, what is that grill trying to eat? Uh, it, yeah. It's well, this, that, it's this that is the one of, flaw with I this mean, yard. What? Uh, it's ugly. What? It's it is. So it's one of those things. Like, look, it's like baby fish mouth. You know, like, her nose is isn't that bad in person. <laughs> yes, it is. I I drove this thing a couple of years ago. On I, I was on the the launch drive. I was on the launch drive when this thing was still known as the Scion IA before they killed Scion. Oh, okay. And you know, it's it's ugly. It's. It's not. It's it's definitely not. The front, as, the front end is it's ugly. Not, well, a you can't get a Mazda two in the states anymore. Uh, so this right. is a way to get it. It's it doesn't <sighs> look as good as the Mazda, but it's not as bad as uh, it looks in pictures. Like it, it looks a little better in person. It's still it it's still not an elegant little bit of rhinoplasty. Well, the, the, but, the best part is from the driver's seat, you can't see the grill, yeah. so and, 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 it doesn't yeah, matter. And the rest of it is like, <laughs> I forgot for a moment that the Yaris is the Mazda 2, so I got it and I'm like, wait a second, what the hell car am I in? Because <laughs> all the switches and buttons and controls and everything is, is it's Mazda, you know? Even the, the yep. dash and it's all Mazda. And so you get in and you're like, oh, Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> but it's it's great because it's got the Mazda infotainment, which is it's still not. It, it's a little clunky. There's there's sort of too many things to select with the little rotary selector. Like their menu structure needs to be flatter, but it's it's better than it's better than Entune. Right, I was gonna say it's much better than Entune, um, and just the materials are nice in the XLE. You know, it fe- it doesn't feel cheap. It's it's a little you know the doors sound a little tinny. It's a little noisy on the on the road. Um, around town, it's fine. It's a perfect around town runabout. It's uh, do you have the hatch or the ex- or the, the sedan? Hatch. I love the hatch. Oh, um, yeah. it's just it's that's the one to get. The sedan is you're gonna miss out on some of the usefulness because of the shape. Um, you know, it, it goes down the road really well. It's not sporty in that sense, but it just because it's small and light, it has that feeling of I don't know flingability or whatever. It just feels direct. I suppose is the best way to put it. Uh, there's not as much between you and the um, the road because there's not as much between you and the road. Like that's for a very good reason. It's, it's, like, it's like it's like what mini the mini was when it was first revived. It, you I know, except mini. without the premium price. Yeah, and without that giant, she was ugly from the front grill. And why is that? Why? Why well, I love it. She's hot to go. You've got to listen to that song. Um, so why is the hatchback almost two thousand dollars more? Does it come with other stuff besides? Just a hatch. Uh, you know, it, I, I mean, didn't really dig into pricing. What's what's the difference? Yeah, it's it, so uh, twenty one hundred dollars difference. So fifteen six fifty for the sedan, which is crazy cheap. Is that that's the XLE then, sedan or just no? Base? That's just base. Okay, and then seventeen seven fifty for this hatch. Yeah, th- this is this is an odd phenomenon um, that you know I've noticed with other brands as well. It's not just this vehicle. Um, you know, where the hatchback is more expensive than the sedan. And I suspect it, it has something to do with the fact that people who go for the hatchbacks want them really want the hatchback. They, you know, they, they prefer the hatchback. And so they're, they're willing to pay a premium 
for it. So it's it's not so much that mm-hmm. you're necessarily getting a whole lot well, more other than the utility, but you know, it you're people are willing to pay for that for some reason. Well, they do have so the base Yaris is the L, and that's the fifteen six fifty, right. and the base hatch is the L. Right, that's what I was going to so say. So you are getting, I've yeah, so you are getting more. Stuff, but it's still a thousand dollars more than the LE sedan. Right, but you know, and and Toyota's not the only one that does this. Like Hyundai and Kia do it as well, um, where the hatch doesn't reach all the way down to that base trim. You know, they start it off yeah. in the middle. Yeah, and so that's that's definitely part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as as an XLE trim. Um, it, it's there's not much you want, you know. There's not much you need here. Like this, this is a fully, uh, f- fully realized car, <laughs> you know. Like, it, <laughs> well, especially that price point. I mean, it's under it's eighteen seven fifty. That's a it's great. A, price. It's a fantastic car. It's a fantastic yeah. price. Like, I know it's a really a Mazda masquerading as a Toyota. Uh, go with it. Like, it keeps. Aren't we all? Keeps, yeah, right. <laughs> it keeps both of those companies alive. Like, look. Yeah. Toyota has has made a very smart choice to say, why are we going to develop our own thing? Um, Mazda makes a pretty good one. Let's just buy theirs. So they, they're paying Mazda for some volume. Mazda gets to big cars that otherwise, you know, wouldn't get bought. And, uh, you know, Toyota gets a, a decent small car. And I didn't mind the old Yaris either. I thought that was okay. Um, mm-hmm. but this is just, this is the best Yaris has ever been <laughs> because it, no, that's all awesome. it drives well. This is, this is the whole, I mean, this is sort of the beauty of, of the market, right? Is that you can have vehicles like the Yaris that perform really well, that do what, do what it needs to do. And then we've got crazy Bentley things at the other end, but I love the fact that it was a good little car. It deserves like every car out there deserves to be good. It deserves to get the type of of quality and engineering that that buyer. It's like it's like respecting that buyer, right? Yeah. And and there's certain things that they just that you know for that it's still a lot of money. I mean that's the thing too is that you know cars are still your second most expensive purchase, and so you're asking somebody to turn over a lot of money. Give them something that is decent. Give them something that you know, that respects them. Yeah. It's, it's inexpensive without feeling cheap. Uh, and I think yeah, honestly, that's awesome. like styling wise, like that's, it's not going to get any better. Um, but it's, it's also like, it doesn't look chintzy. Uh, yeah. And you know, I mean, aside from that grill, yeah. I mean, the rest of it does look good. I mean, it's got, you know, modern Mazda styling after the, once you get past the grill. And as far as the price goes, I actually, I just pulled it up on the, uh, the Toyota website. And the the reason why the L you can get the LE cheaper than the LE the LE sedan cheaper than the hatchback is because the LE sedan is available with a manual transmission. Hatch is not, and the hatchback is only automatic. So oh, okay, that, so you are getting if you, right away. If you get okay. the LE sedan yeah. with an automatic, it's the same price. It's seventeen seven. And like okay, the powertrain is you know Mazda makes a nice uh, refined four cylinder, and it works really well with the transmission. Um, I, I liked the steering; it felt direct. I it was st- still maybe a little numb. Um, I didn't really get much of a chance to bend it hard into an on ramp and and see. You know, I went I went for for uh, quarantine groceries, <laughs> so I didn't do a whole lot of driving. Um, but you know, like we talked about with the the Audi, right? All the controls are uh frustrating in that car they're so straightforward here and this is one of the reasons i think probably why i still like the the smaller cheaper cars is there's no room to get fancy like that with that nonsense things just have to be straightforward 
and uh, so it's got three knobs for climate control. It had a, it had push button start. It had a nice visibility out of the front. The the belt line is or the the cowl is low. Um, it just you really don't need more car than this. Was what I was thinking most of the time I was driving. It was just this is perfectly you know adequate and that's that's kind of a crappy way to put it um this is more than adequate i would say for for most people you know i don't i probably wasn't leather on the seats probably like leatherette but they still they look good they feel good um i think you get it out on the highway it might be a little noisy but other than that i i I really can't find much to complain about this is probably one of my favorite cars in this class and one of my one of my favorite cars overall, which is weird to say about a Yaris. But. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, but that's that's the thing is that they 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 did they did something really really well with it. And as you say, it makes sense for Toyota to just buy the technology, buy the vehicle from Mazda, so they can they can fund other projects. Yeah, Toyota's not messing know, around. And, like they they yeah. they just. They're being smart with their investment. You know, they're like, "Hey, we need a sports car. Let's buy one from BMW. <laughs> hey, we need a tiny hatch. Let's, let's buy one from Mazda." You know, and it it it's sort of the newest reality with with car companies. It's like, why you're going to beat each other's brains out for for you know tiny markets where you're not going to have any share? Like, at least if you guys if you combine forces, you can all have a little bit of share without. You know, sort of that that huge investment. I don't know. It seems like a better, more collaborative well, approach. And, no, you're you're absolutely right. And and you know that's you know um, why you know for example this week you know uh, GM and Honda announced that Honda is going to use GM's new EV platform as you the basis. You are the for- king of segway. That's awesome. Tonight. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, EVs, you know, represent a tiny share of the market. I mean, it's less than 2% of the U.S. market. And, you know, Honda needs some EVs, you know, to meet the the ZEV mandates in in California and other states. And so they're going to use GM's uh, BEV3 platform that that we saw last month in Detroit, uh, you know, including, you know, their Ultium battery system. Um, and they're, they're doing two EVs based on that. And they're actually going to be built at GM factories. Uh, we don't know yet if it's going to be at the Detroit Hamtramck plant or some other plant, uh, that's, uh, set to be announced. But, um, you know, they're, uh, GM is going to build Hondas, which is a first. Well, I, they have had relationships in the past, you know, there, you, you could, yeah, get a Honda yeah GM's actually the, the Saturn view. Um, yep. They, They've had they've had you know relationship going back to the 1990s, uh, you know, with as you said the in the the Saturn View had a Honda V6 in it, and uh, you know they've they've been doing some other stuff together on fuel cells and um, and you know Honda was also in, involved you know in the development of the uh, the module design for the Ultium battery system. Oh, really? So it, it, yeah, it makes sense that they would. Yeah, they they had announced a partnership on uh, module battery module design about a year and a half ago, and they never really talked about it um, after that. But I guess Honda was part of this, and so that's part of why Honda is using this now. Uh, and it's, it's going to be the first models to be coming out in 2024 um, for using the, the GM platform. And you know, the the other thing is that they're not they're not only are they using GM's electric propulsion system. Honda's also going to get Super Cruise. 
these vehicles are going to be the first non-GM vehicles crazy. to offer Super Cruise. Yeah. That's amazing. I wonder what they'll call it because they're not going to call it. Call Super it Honda Cruise. Cruise. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. They might, they might call it Super Cruise. Uh, that's, I wonder if they're going to have it before Chevy's. <laughs> uh, no, no. Um, the, uh, the, the Chevy Bolt EUV next year EUV. is uh, going to. Yeah, so this is the crossover oh, based on the bolt. They need to get better at the I know. She's yeah. um, So that one, that one's going to be the first Chevy to offer Super Cruise. And then um, also, you know, there's going to be some other Chevy stuff as well over the next couple of it years. It really does make sense to share. Uh, this stuff is so expensive to develop. And I, I think Honda can bring, and they talk about it amongst themselves at Honda, right? The Honda way uh, is very much mm-hmm. the same as the, there's the Toyota way as well. But like, just the, the things that Honda can bring to GM will make GM better. And the things that GM can bring to Honda will allow Honda to continue being Honda. You know what I mean? Like, I think it, it mm-hmm. really, it does make sense. Um, and we're seeing, you know, Ford is partnered up with VW too. So uh, I think the automakers are realizing that, that, that they need to collaborate on this stuff and they can still put their personalities well, into the cars. Yeah, and, and as we've talked about before, you know, the, the electric powertrain, you know, there's a lot less differentiation from one to another there than there is with engines. You know, all electric motors feel basically the same. You know, there's not, you know, you get into a, aside from however much power they have and whatever, you know, the acceleration they, uh, they can produce, you know, they basically, they basically all sound and feel the same. You know, they're, they're just kind of seamless propulsion. So whether you've got a Tesla or a Volkswagen or a GM motor and battery in there, you know, to the average consumer, they're not going to know the difference. You know, they're going to, the, the design and the, the, the user experience inside the vehicle is what they're going to experience. So it's good for manufacturers to focus on that part of it and share the technology that the, that the customer is not going to see. I think the differentiator is the, is the regenerative braking personally. Like that's where I feel differences that companies do that yeah, better than well, others. And, some and do it better than others. Some, and that's something you can easily calibrate, you know, even with the same hardware, you know, because that's all just done in software anyway. Right. But that feel though, I mean, I, I, yeah. I agree with you there. It's hard to tell the difference between an electric, but it doesn't mean the driving experience is exactly the same. That's true. Yeah. Yes. No, I think that's where we're going to see them still continue to be unique from each other is how you know Acura and Honda engineers make the cars feel on a as a whole you know how they go down the road how they go around corners how they hit bumps and stuff is going to be different than the way GM vehicles do and, and it, not necessarily better or worse but but different and because they've they've tuned them with their people and and stuff I and mean, we're seeing that already with the the uh the Supra and the um Z4 to a degree I mean, they're, they're pretty similar, yeah. but they're still different, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And even the uh, Miata, oh, that's even right, the Miata yeah. and the um, Fiat, the 124. The Fiat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. As, for as long as that one's with us. Staying with EVs, um, Autocar published an interesting article this week. Um, they published a couple with, interesting uh, ones. There was that one about Honda. I mean, yeah, Honda ditching touchscreens which i don't want to touch on i just want to mention it so people can go read yeah. it because yay yeah <laughs> uh, but uh yeah so so autocar which is a, a british uh car magazine uh did an article where they published um the electric cars uh, that they've tested with the best real world range 
So this is all based on their actual road testing of these vehicles. And what's interesting, you know, I mean, they, they compare, um, you know, in their comparisons, in the individual vehicle reviews, you know, they compare the, the range that they got against the uh, European rated range, which is on that WLTP cycle I was talking about earlier. Um, and so, you know, pretty much all of them fell short of the WLTP numbers. But what's interesting is when you compare it against the, um, the EPA numbers, um, most, you know, like the top half of this list were all pretty much right on what the EPA numbers were. Like the number one on their list was the Hyundai Kona EV at 259 miles, which is exactly what its EPA rating is. Um, the, the Jaguar I-Pace at 253 you know, it's EPA rating. They just bumped it up recently to like 248 or something, I think. So it's, it's really close. The Kia Nero EV, 253 miles, with, and it's 239 on the EPA rating. Um, what's interesting is when you get to um, the Teslas, which all fell way, way short of their both their EPA and WLTP ratings. That's because they hate Tesla. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, whatever. Um, why do you hate Tesla? Why, you know, why are you a hater, bro? <laughs> you don't understand. You short seller, you. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I posted this article on Twitter uh, a few days ago when it first came out, and uh, Dan Edmonds commented on it. Uh, Dan used to be at Edmonds.com, and he's no relation to the family that owns Edmonds.com. But, um, you know, over the last, you know, five or six years, he did a lot of testing in a lot of different Tesla models. And one thing that he, he commented on, and, and he's told me in the past, is that he has never gotten a Tesla to get anywhere near its EPA rating, uh, EPA rated range in the real world. You know, they always fall a good 20 to 30% short of the EPA ratings. So, you know, the, the model three, uh, you know, I think the, the, um, the top, the longest range model three now is about 320 miles and that one got 239 miles from auto car, uh, which is, you know, that's about 30% short. Well, they <laughs> obviously did it wrong. <laughs> clearly. Yes, clearly. Uh, you know, the, you know, the, uh, Nissan leaf plus, you know, they got 217. It's rated, I think at 220 on the EPA cycle. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting test. You know, they got some, some, Fascinating results from this. I I wonder if it would be different in the U.S. just because of the the terrain and the the sort of the the driving styles and locales. Or well, no, but uh, I, I mean, I think because they got similar ones on some vehicles, right? Yeah, you know, and and the thing is, you know, the terrain, you know, one one of the things you know I learned a long time ago with with EVs, you know, with plug-in vehicles, you know, is the the three Ts. You know, temperature, terrain, and technique. You know, so that you know, all all three of those things can have a huge impact on your drive on your electric driving range. You know, if it's cold or very hot, you know, your driving range is going to get cut significantly. You know, because of the need to use climate control. Uh, plus, uh, you know, especially when it's cold, you know, the battery performance is not as good, so you're going to lose range from that as well. Um, you know, terrain. You know, obviously, if you're going up a lot of hills, your range is going to be less. You know, and technique, you know, if you're driving it hard, you're going to, you're going to get, um, you know, worse range, just as you'll, with an internal combustion car, you'll get, um, you know, worse fuel economy if you're driving it hard. 
you know, I think for purposes of this testing, you know, AutoCar, you know, tested them all, you know, does their range testing all, you know, roughly the same way, you know, on this, you know, on the same, same terrain, you know, so they're, they're getting comparable results for these vehicles, for all these different vehicles. Uh, so, you know, the fact that, you know, a lot of them that are, that aren't from Tesla, you know, get pretty close to what the EPA rated range is, you know, is an indicator that, you know, the Audi or that the Teslas are not as good as what their claims are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting scrolling through the list and we just talked about the Audi and the Audi in, in this test got sort of bang on the numbers, right? That, uh, yeah, it got uh, 196, yeah. I think. Yeah. So it's a few, few miles short of, of the, the official rated range, you know, 204, but you know, it's pretty close. Yeah. So I, yeah, that's there. That's the thing is that the numbers that they're getting for other vehicles are what the estimates are, are close to what the estimates are, yeah. and it's just only Tesla. So, so why does Tesla do so well then in the EPA ratings? So, uh, there's a couple things. Uh, number one, um, Tesla uh, and Tesla when they do their uh, their testing and they submit their numbers, they do the testing based on using 100% of battery cap- battery capability. So okay. they run it. They run it from 100 percent down to nobody zero. Nobody else does that. Right. Um, nobody else does that. N- nobody else does yeah. that. And in fact, you know, when you get a Tesla, and you you get into you know you go to drive it, the default is actually that it only uses 90 percent of the battery capacity. It does not use 100. Can you as a you, as a user change that? There, yes, huh. you can. There is a mode that you can go into, and I forget exactly what it's labeled as, but you can. You can go into the settings and you can say, I want maximum range and it'll use, it'll charge it up to a hundred percent and it'll use a hundred percent of the available range. Um, but when you do that, it also pops up a warning on the screen saying, you know, this may cause permanent damage to your battery. So, you know, recommend using this sparingly. Um, and, you know, I think most people just use the default, which is just using, using 90% of the range. I'm not sure. That's one thing. I'm not sure what, um, uh, how AutoCar did that? If they used the the maximum range mode or not? But uh, you know, I'm I'm assuming they used just the default settings, which is you know what they typically do. And I know you know talking to Dan that you know Dan Edmonds, that's what he you know his his numbers are based on using the default configuration, which is ninety percent of the battery capacity. The other thing is that um, you know manufacturers here in the U.S. Um, self-certify so for you know whether it's for a gas or diesel car or an electric vehicle they do the testing themselves and then they submit the results to epa epa looks over the the paperwork that they submit um you know and every year they you know they test they'll they'll audit about 15 percent of new models that come to market you know so they'll they'll get samples of those cars and they'll take bring them to the epa lab here in, in ann arbor and they will run through the full battery of tests. And if their results come up significantly different from what the manufacturer submitted, then they use their results. But most of the vehicles that go to market um, are based, you know, the, the EPA will look at whatever the manufacturer submitted. And if there's nothing that looks too obviously wrong, then they will, you know, they'll sign off on it. And that's what goes on the label. EPA has never tested a Tesla. They've never audited any Tesla vehicles. So it's possible that 
uh, you know, and this, you know, it would not be the first time that this has happened that, you know, Tesla's testing procedures were not totally in line with the, you know, with what's the way it's officially supposed to be done. I mean, other manufacturers have gotten busted in the past. Ford several years ago got busted. Hyundai, Hyundai and Kia got busted. Uh, Mini got busted, you know, with, uh, and usually what it came down to in those cases was part of the way they do the testing is they do, uh, you know, a, a coast down test. Um, you know, so they go up to a certain speed and coast down and see what the, the load, you know, the road load is, you know, to, to coast down to a certain speed, you know, and that takes into account things like aerodynamics and rolling resistance and all that from that, from the results of that, they use that to set up the dynamometer for the load on the dynamometer to, to simulate, you know, the behavior of the vehicle in the real world. And then they run the actual test cycle on the dynamometer. So, um, you know, in the past, some manufacturers, like I said, you know, have gotten that wrong. I'm not going to accuse them of doing it deliberately, you know, because it's never been proven that they did it deliberately. But they, they certainly got that load testing part of it wrong, which meant that they ended up getting higher numbers for MPG than what the vehicle was actually capable of in the real world. Uh, you know, case in point was, you know, the, the 2013 Ford Fusion Hybrid and the C-Max Hybrid. You know, they, uh, they were both rated at 47 miles per gallon city highway and, and combined, you know, and then after EPA got a bunch of complaints and audited those vehicles, the fusion got lowered to like about 41 miles per gallon. Uh, so it was a pretty significant difference so far. They've never done that with a Tesla vehicle. So, you know, based on real world results, you know, from, you know, normal driving, you know, they generally come up well short of those EPA numbers, those EPA label numbers. And I don't know why EPA has never uh, looked into that. Yeah. Do they have to do it based on customer complaints? Because nobody no. for the Tesla is going to complain. <laughs> EPA can do it anytime they want. Okay. Because, you know, they, I mean, they, like I said, you know, they, they pick a, a random sample every year of about 15% of the new models that come to market and do their own testing. You know, just, you know, the, the intent is, you know, to because the you know manufacturers don't know which ones are going to get picked for testing, and you know, so they they the hope is that that keeps them honest because EPA doesn't have enough capacity to test every new vehicle and every powertrain configuration. Sure. sure. Um, so they rely on the manufacturers to do that. The Fox the hen house thing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, you just don't have uh, the budget to do you know, it. It's it's themselves. one it's it's one it's one thing it's one thing when car makers do it, you know, and you know they they use more fuel or use more energy than they claim. It's entirely another thing when an aircraft manufacturer uh, self certifies and you know systems don't actually work the way they're intended <clears throat> so, to. So yeah, the yeah. Uh, the term for that planes fall out of the sky. Uh, regulatory capture, and it is a yes. bad thing. Uh, manufacturers yep. and industry loves it. Because they, again, like it is the fox guarding the hen house uh, and the federal agencies just don't have enough money to even just to audit everybody. So it, like, I don't know what the solution is, but you do wind up in this situation with, with fuel economy and with EV range um, as it pertains to cars and, and emissions as well. Uh, there's there's room for uh bad actors and bad actions to sort of slip through for a while, which is, I mean, we saw it with the Volkswagen diesel thing too. 
Right. And, you know, even, I mean, that's a perfect example, you know, in Europe, you know, they have to go through a homologation process, you know, where, you know, they, the certificate, they don't self-certify in Europe and, you know, um, VW still managed to slip through that because of the way that they cheated, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, they set it up so that when you're running the tests, everything behaved the way it was, was intended to. And <laughs> yeah. You know, and then as soon as you, as soon as you put it on the real world, you know, then, oh, uh, all of a sudden now the emission controls are not working the way they were designed to. And, you know, there's polluting a lot more. And, and this is why, you know, one of the things when, when Europe, when the EU changed to WLTP at, in late 2018, part of, part of that test procedure now is also a real world driving test. So not only do they test every new vehicle on the dynamometer, they also do a real driving emissions test. And, you know, so that the, the vehicles actually have to prove that they can pass emissions on a, on a real world drive cycle, not just on a dyno. Yeah. I think the, um, the flip side of that though, is, uh, they're willing to pay for it. And I don't think that that's something that, um, we're going to come up with the money for <laughs> anytime soon. So. Not anymore. Yeah, that's absolutely. for sure. <laughs> um, it would be great if, 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 because, you know, it really affects everybody on the emission side. Um, and even with EVs, you know, like that, that energy has to come from somewhere. So if they, if we can make everything as efficient as possible, uh, we all benefit to a degree, you know, I mean, look out, out your window right now. <laughs> Like we've got the clearest skies and there's coyotes running down the street in Chicago. It's, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I've, I've seen a, I've seen a Fox uh, wandering around the golf course across from me a couple of times in yeah. the past week. So uh, it would be a good investment. It would be something that uh, maybe you could get figured out, but in the meantime, expect more weird number stuff to happen. <laughs> yep. Uh, we got a little off track, so let's pull ourselves back on track and let's talk about stuff that's not efficient like the mustang gt350 it's the shelby g mach one i what the hell am i trying to say sam i i have no idea okay. what you're trying to say um <laughs> apparently the gt350 is going away at the end of the 2020 that is such model a terrible year. decision uh, i know but you know it's but it's the way it goes they're gonna, they're gonna um, Drop that car in favor of the GT500. Dumb. Uh, yes. Dumb. So the, Dumb. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. But well, they are they are bring they are apparently going to be launching the Mustang Mach One, and I think last fall I think I mentioned this uh, when we talked about the Mach E at the LA Auto Show um, a couple of weeks before the show. I went to um, a briefing, a private briefing at the the uh, Ford Product Development Center. And with uh, some of the, the folks from uh, Team Edison and the, and the Mach-E team. And one of the things in that presentation, there was a big timeline, you know, Mustang uh, timeline from 1965 up through uh, 2021. And a 2021, along with the Mach-E, you know, right next to Mach-E, it also had Mach-1 on there. Um, and my guess is that the Mach-1 is the the uh, Mustang hybrid that uh, they first announced back in 2017 mm. was going to be coming because uh, that that would make sense you know to to do a Mach one you know to make the the hybrid uh, the new Mach one 
you know, and it'll probably have performance comparable to the, to the GT 350, you know, so somewhere around, you know, 500 plus horsepower. It's just, it makes me sad to lose the voodoo engine. I just, I, yeah. I loved the 350 so much. The GT 350, that's such a, uh, visceral car. Yeah, and just that engine, it is. the 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 flat plane V eight. Just I don't know. The GT five hundred seems uh, less visceral in a way. It's, well, it's 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 visceral yeah. in a different way. It, you know, it's a very different kind of experience. Rebecca, have you ever driven the GT three fifty? I haven't. I've I've had very little exposure now, to that. Mustangs. Is something you should tear oh. through Greenwich with. It's just like in first gear, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? <laughs> first gear at 8200 rpm that was a car i swear to god like just uh you'd it's one of those you could because it can rev so high it was you just put your foot in it you'd be like oh it's time to shift nope not time to shift oh time to shift no nope not time to shift and it just pulls all the way to rev line it screams and sounds so good you just you just ride around in like third gear on the highway just to hear it roar it's just oh god i loved that car (laughs) Tell yeah. us how you really feel. <laughs> no, that's awesome. No, I th- I think, you know, it's a shame if it's going away because that engine is just so unique. It is. And, you know, it's, it's well, a shame. But yeah, I, yep. in Ford's uh, in Ford's defense, they can't make every single thing they want. And, and you know, they, they did make it for a while, so it'll be, it'll be available. Yeah, f- I mean, five years, a five-year yeah. run, which is yeah, the same no, as the sure. original... GT350 of the 1960s it ran for 5 yeah. years as well. So Wow. Uh, no, it's great. It's I mean it's beautiful but you know those that own them will probably go up in value so they got yeah. that going for them. Except for those of us yep. who don't. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. You know the the other, the other downside of course is that you know when they launched the GT500 last year, you know some people complained that you couldn't get it with a manual transmission. It was only available with that 7-speed DCT. And, you know, Ford said, yeah, but, you know, we still have the GT350, which, you, you know, if you want a manual transmission, you know, they get the GT350 and, you know, the, the GT500 is an automatic, you know, it's like, well, okay, but now the GT350 is going away. And assuming that the Mach 1 is in fact this hybrid, um, you know, which presumably, you know, it will be the, you know, the five liter Coyote V8 with, um, with the, the 96 horsepower electric motor from the, um, uh, the Aviator Grand Touring, you know, which would put it somewhere in the 570 horsepower range, 560 horsepower range. Um, you know, that, you know, will be plenty of performance, but that's not going to be available with a manual transmission. I can guarantee you that. Yeah. I don't know that that's a big deal. Like, I just don't think that that many people buy manual transmission, even Mustangs. You know, like, it's a purist no. thing. It's a purist yeah. thing. They just want it. To, I want it, it to available. exist because that's the one I, I would buy, buy but I, I'm not buying, so they need to make the cars. They can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's no, absolutely. It's, you know. uh, although they do, they do sell a pretty high percentage of, you know, the, the EcoBoost and the Mustang GTs with manual transmissions. I mean, it's, it's on the order of about, you know, four over 40%. Yeah. But in that sense, it's, they can keep those and they're not, not losing as much or they may actually make some money on those cars when you start to climb the ladder into the expensive stuff i just i I think that it's a lot harder to sell the 
you know, the higher end Mustangs with manuals in the same amount that you would ha- sell a higher end Mustang with an automatic, you know, like it's just, yeah. and it's just reality. Cause you know, you people, you, I'm pointing at everybody out there. Not, you people <laughs> are lazy. You have lazy left feet. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, all right. Quarantine car maintenance. Um, and uh, Motor Trend uh, posted an article this week on uh, how to maintain your car for long-term storage. And, you know, some of the, some of the stuff in here uh, is, you know, hopefully, you know, your car won't be in long-term storage during this, you know, hopefully we'll get out of this sooner rather than later. Um, but, you know, a, there's a lot of people right now who are not driving as much as they were, you know, previously, you know, a lot of people working from home or, or sadly not working at all. And, you know, so their cars are sitting idle a lot more than they have in the past. And, you know, while most of this article is relevant, you know, for somebody like me, for example, that, you know, has a car that, you know, I don't, I have a car that I don't drive in the wintertime, you know, so I don't drive it from December until about March or so. Um, and I do most of the things that are on this list. There, you know, there are some things, you know, if you're not driving much right now that you can, they're still worth keeping an eye on. Um, you know, most notably with your tires, um, you know, if, even, you know, if your car is sitting idle or mostly idle for the, you know, better part of a month or more, um, you know, if, if your car is not going anywhere for a while, it's definitely a good idea to check your tires, you know, keep checking your tires regularly. I mean, you should be checking your tire pressures every month anyway. Um, and, and preferably, you know, every week. Uh, but you know, if they're, if your car, if your wheels aren't rolling, you know, when your car, you know, when you put weight on your tires, you know, they aren't completely round, you know, they, they deform, you know, from that weight because they have some elasticity to them. And, um, if your car is sitting idle for a long time, the tires will eventually flat spot, you know, they will, they will harden. Um, and you know, that can cause, um, balance problems and, and other issues with your tires. So. It's a good idea, you know, at the very least to at least move your car around a little bit, you know, roll it back a couple feet, roll it forward, you know, just move it so that it's not sitting on the same spot on your tires for an extended period of time and check the tire pressures to make sure the tire pressures are within spec on a regular basis. Um, well, you know, this is interesting. I, uh, Rebecca, this... what, what do you do for your personal cars? Because you yeah. like you've got them stacked up in your driveway. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, so actually, I think this is a really good time to check and see if your vehicle, or the brand of car you have, has an app because I actually can check. I mean, Jake, Jake uses Coco, my car, so she is driven on a regular basis, but I, but I can check the tire pressure via the app. So it's something that, you know, if you have a newer car, she's five years old, so it's not like it needs to be brand new. Uh, you know, check to see if there's an app available that will help you with some of this stuff. Because as you say, Motor Trend, they also mention you know changing your oil, uh, belts and hoses, the battery, things like that. So I think that you know this is a great time to to now that we have some downtime. Most people have some downtime to say, hey, you know, 
is my car, how much communication can I do between my car and my phone via that, via an available app and set that up because I think it can be really helpful. I know I've gotten notifications of, you know, if a tire is low, it'll come up on the app. And, and so then, you know, it's, it's that extra, not only should you check, as you said, Sam, but the app can check for you as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, speaking of, uh, oil, uh, you know, I, I also was talking about the same topic today when I was on, uh, uh, Leo Laporte's tech guy radio show. And we had an email that came in today from a listener there, uh, from, uh, uh, Louis Planinchek. Uh, and he was wondering about, uh, you know, he's got a 2019 Camry. Um, and, uh, he said, uh, it only has 2000 miles on it and he's had it for a year. So clearly he doesn't, he was, he was obviously wasn't driving it much even before the, 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 the shelter in place. Um, but, uh, you know, his question is, do I still need to change the oil? Even if it doesn't, if it doesn't hit the 10,000 miles mark yet. And, you know, modern cars all have, um, oil life monitoring systems in them. And, you know, they, they vary in terms of what they do, but in general, you know, Oil uh, oil change intervals have gotten a lot longer over the years as engines have improved, but also the oil itself has improved, especially with synthetic blends. They last a lot longer. Um, you know, modern engines don't have as much blow by. You know, one of the reasons you had to change the oil so frequently in the past is, you know, you get gasoline going past the, um, uh, the piston rings and mixing with the oil and diluting the oil. So you lost some of the uh, some of the lubricating qualities of it and you'd get other, you know, other things in the oil as well. Um, modern engines don't do that anywhere near as much. So the oil change intervals have gotten longer and, you know, the computers now that it monitors the way, the way you drive. I mean, if you do a lot of highway driving, steady speeds, uh, you know, that doesn't put as much load on your engine as, you know, if you do a lot of urban driving or depending on, you know, if your ambient temperatures where you drive are very high, that has different different effects on your oil. And so, you know, depending on where you drive and how you drive, your oil change intervals might stretch out, you know, in some cases beyond 10,000 miles, you know, and you'll get an alert on your instrument cluster when it's time to change your oil. In general, I would say it's probably a good idea to change your oil at least once yeah. a year. You know, you don't have, you don't have to do it every three months or 3000 miles like they used to recommend when I was young, but, um, you know, you know, once a year is not bad, you know, and, you know, it only costs, you know, about 40, 45 bucks, you know, to go in for an oil change. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's a worthwhile investment, uh, to do that. And then, you know, the other thing is when your cars, when you're not driving your car, you know, you want, even if, even if it's not time to change your oil yet, you know, you still want to keep the, the fluids moving inside your car, because if it's sitting for an extended period of time, the oil that's on the cylinder walls will drain down, you know, things could potentially seize up. So you want to keep the fluids moving. So, you know, um, if you're not going anywhere, it's a good idea to once a week, just go out in your garage or your driveway, just start up the car, let it run for five or 10 minutes, circulate the fluids, you know, make sure everything's working right. See, and then just shut it off. And, I disagree and it's fine. with that. Um, I, it, okay. that will help keep the battery charged and stuff. But actually what that does is that puts, because it, it doesn't get up to operating temperature, so you get you actually get a lot more moisture in your in your oil that way, and it turns the oil acidic. So what I would do if I were storing a car I cared about, <laughs> which I don't, I just leave them in the driveway and just start them. Whatever. I, don't, I think I've I've 
the Crown Victoria has suffered a bit. <laughs> it's still got its 1999 brake fluid in it. Um, but I would actually change the oil. I'd take it out for a run, get it fully warmed up, and, and then uh, change the oil before I put it away. Then I would disconnect the battery, leave the battery on a battery tender, and not start it. You know, plug the intake so that rodents don't get in there, and uh, plug the exhaust as well so that rodents don't get in there, and just just <coughs> let it be. And and uh, if you have a garage, it might be a good idea to actually um, put one of those damp rid things uh, in in the interior to absorb uh, moisture, and you can ha- that's basically a salt. So you just have to check it every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, but I generally like the less you do with it, the sort of better off it is. And then when you take it out of storage again, start it, get it running, get it up to temperature, and then change the oil again. Um, you can put it on jack stands as well to get the weight off the tires. Uh, that's that's something that, again, if you're not going to drive it for a long time and you can do it, that's kind of – that that would be my plan. But I – I'm not sure about the like right. let it run for. Well, a bit. I mean, if, if you're if you're, I mean, if you're just sitting, you know, for you know a few weeks or a month, you know, yeah, yeah, that's then, fine. Fire yeah, it up, let it know, let it idle a little bit, and just yeah. just move it around a little bit. Yeah, you know, and actually, you don't want the, you know, the brakes to, to to rust to the rotors and stuff, yeah. right? And and don't don't put on your parking brake. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like you know, with with my Miata, you know, when I got my Miata, I actually talked to my friend Richard Truitt, who writes for Automotive News, and he has lots of old cars, you know, he rebuilds old cars and I asked him for his suggestions. Um, you know, what does he do with his cars? And, um, he's the one who actually suggested to me, you know, going out and just starting it and letting it run, run, starting it once a week and just letting it run for a few minutes. Um, and he, that's what he does with his old cars. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not, it's, I think, especially too, for something with like a carburetor, like, yeah, I know he's got triumphs, right. Um, and, and, and a bunch and of other some, stuff. And some some of those are fuel injected. Okay, I, I would say that actually for something with a carburetor, it, it might not be a terrible idea to start it and let it run, just because it keeps f- fuel running through those yeah. things, and and you know the ethanol and the fuel now likes to eat stuff. So yeah. uh, that's that's and it will absorb water. So then uh, you wind up with, with bigger problems. So actually letting it idle for a little while is is not not the worst thing in the world. Um, you know, if, if if that acidic oil takes out stuff in the engine, you had a problem anyway. But <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you yeah. can you can you can read the article for uh, for all the all the other suggestions they have in here. Uh, Re- Rebecca has also got another good suggestion of something you know that's important now in this in this period when um, you know a lot of us are in quarantine or in shutdown um, with uh, financing and loan support. Uh, Rebecca, you want to dive into that? Yeah. So I've been writing, uh, doing some writing for JD Power, and they're actually really beefing up their coverage of the their consumer oriented coverage. And so there's a, a list on the JD Power website talking about coronavirus car payment plans, and it just it it details uh, what each manufacturer is doing in terms of either. It's not so much loan forgiveness, it's more like loan deferment. So if you can show that 
you are impacted in some way, uh, whether it's health-wise or wealth-wise from coronavirus, then a number of manufacturers are offering deferments. They're offering new car incentives, loyalty incentives. It really, it it varies across the board. So I wrote the one um, that was specific for Genesis um, and Acura, and they were actually really quite different. Mitsubishi's running something different, but it's just a helpful thing. I'll send you guys the link uh, so that you can show it. But you know, for our listeners that are being impacted by this, there are opportunities for for deferment uh, of your pay of your payment, and also it's really actually a pretty good time to buy a car because you know if you're again they're they're offering loan deferment on new car loans as well, so you know Genesis is doing something that's really cool too. If you can, um, you know. It, Talk to them and show that you're being impacted as a caregiver. Uh, so you, you know, you're not working because you're caring for somebody that has coronavirus, or of course you yourself have it. Uh, they're they're offering loan deferment as well. But I think it's just a, it's a it's a good thing to note. It's a good thing to know that there is uh, you know there is help out there if you are being negatively impacted, especially financially. Yeah, it, it, to me the. The measures they've taken to uh, make it attractive to keep you know buyers interested are the most amazing things. Like you can really get some crazy terms uh, right now. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I, and and as a finance person, as somebody who used to work at Mercedes Benz Credit and the FDIC, please don't do an eighty-four month loan. Just no, that's it bad. It's terrible. <laughs> like they'll give it to you, but it's a bad idea. Exactly. Yeah. Although, although you know. Um, you know, that brings us to another listener question. You know, one of the, uh, like FCA right now, I think is offering uh, 0% loans for 84 months. Uh, still, I would, I would, if you can manage a, uh, the payment on a shorter term loan, it's absolutely a good idea to do that. Um, you know, you want to pay it off sooner rather than later, because if, if something happens, like, you know, uh, you know, if you're, if you get into an accident or something, car gets totaled, um, you know, you could be way underwater. Uh, on a on a loan that long, even if your interest is zero percent, you know the value of the car could be significantly less than what you still owe on it. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I would I would say if you can if you can do this sixty month, yeah. and you know I know a lot of people do seventy twos, and it just if you you know just kind of do your best to try and keep it at that sixty at that sixty months. So, I know the payment can be very different, but yeah, but that's the thing. Cars are very expensive and we've extended very generous terms when credit was cheap and now we're going to see right now credit is still cheap but i expect at some point we're going to see that really tighten up and that's going to really squeeze everything and if you can't if you can't really make it work on that 60 month term then you need to buy less car uh, or yeah, Toyota like, Yaris that, is a great choice. Exactly, <laughs> like, that would just, be my, my recommendation as well. Yeah. I mean, I think you need uh, to think very carefully about a seventy-two month loan. Yeah, like, and uh, especially in 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 these times, you know, the the reality is that even once we come out of this, the economy is going to be in really bad shape for probably at least the next couple of years, right? If not considerably longer than that. I mean, sixty months is five years, right? Yeah. Like that's. That's a long time. Right. Well, and, <laughs> what was and it like five years and, ago, and, you know? Like, well, and as, as you say, you're, you know, as, as Sam mentioned, you're going to be underwater. And yeah. so if something happens to that vehicle, 
you're going to owe more than it's worth. And that's just, it's just not a good position. Even, even if, you know, uh, even if something doesn't happen to the vehicle, you know, if you were to lose your job yeah, uh, or your circumstances changed and you had to sell that vehicle, now all of a sudden the resale value of that vehicle is probably going to be less than what it's worth for quite Absolutely. some time. Right. Absolutely. You're um, just, you're, you're, you're vulnerable for, for quite a long time that you have that loan, you know, obviously right. as you get into, you know, 48 months, then you start, you know, if you got a year left to pay on it on a 60 month, then, then you're probably well ahead, you know, probably, but again, it's just, you know, cars are not, they're not assets, they're investment. I'm, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're an expense. And so I, I just don't want people to be falsely lured into the idea that a 72 or 84 month is okay, because I think that yeah. that's something that is, you really need to live a little bit more within your means. Yeah, it's it's tough, you know, and there's, you know, gap protection is there. There are ways you can be smart about it. Um, we're uh, clearly not financial experts. <laughs> I mean, we're car writers, for Christ's sake. But, <laughs> but I did the, work with the FDIC, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, these are but, things like, but no. <laughs> but seriously, yeah. like, it is it is true. Like, um, the the longer you stretch out that period, the, the sort of worse it looks for affordability you just you really can't you can't predict that you're going to have that stable uh income for that period of time and you do wind up with the the resale value not matching your your payments you know or right. what you owe on it after yeah, a short term sure. um but do, but do check out i'm sorry no go ahead well i just i didn't mean to interrupt you i i wasn't gonna say anything all that you <laughs> Well, let's let's let's, fin let's finish up with one uh, the rest of this question. The rest of this particular email um, is from Randy Guerrero. Uh, he meant, you know, we mentioned uh, I think last week when we were talking about the uh, the Gladiator uh, about the the resale value and quality of the Jeep brand. And he says, considering a Jeep Compass Limited, and wondered if we've reviewed this model or what you thought what your thoughts are on, uh, are on it. Because he likes the size, fuel mileage, and price for four wheel drive. Plus, they're offering zero percent for eighty four months. Definitely stay away from the 84 month loan if you can manage the payments on a shorter yeah, term. Yeah, I don't think they're going to offer you 0% on a shorter term. Maybe they will. I, I forget. But, I was looking at these uh, briefly. Yeah, yeah you have terms. to look into it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, additional questions is hearing about, uh, hearing with stimulus package that there will be incentives in the future for dealers to get people to buy new cars. I'm wondering if I should wait or this may be a rumor. Um, big fan of the show. Uh, and, uh, enjoys uh, the podcast and and uh, discussion of iRacing and he's a big NASCAR fan. So I'll, let me hit that last part of it first. Uh, the, the NASCAR stimulus fan package. part? No, the, the <laughs> stimulus part of it. Um, there has been some discussion about, you know, doing another cash for clunkers style program. Right now there are no incentives in there for, for buying new vehicles. This would be a separate thing that is, Congress has not done anything about yet, which you know, would be some sort of a trade-in program to get people to trade in older cars to buy new vehicles. Um, we don't know if this is going to happen or not, you know, so depending on, you know, if you need to buy a new car right now, um, you know, then, you know, don't, don't wait, assuming that this is going to happen. Um, if you don't need to buy this Jeep right now, then maybe hold off for a while, see how things go, you know, see if things, you know, get a little better. Um, you know, and, and then you may have that opportunity to do it. As far as the compass goes, uh, I drove a compass a couple of years ago and did a review on Forbes, which we'll link in the show notes. 
Um, and I think we talked, Dan, you and I talked about it uh, mm-hmm. here on the show uh, fairly on. I'll find that episode and link that as well. Um, have you guys driven the Compass? I have, yes. Um, it's, I mean, the newer one is so much better than the yeah. previous one that I think that if you're are if you're contemplating, as you say, like if you're looking and saying, okay, I'm, I'm not so sure about, you know, what whether I want to spend this money right now or maybe I'll look at it used. Just don't. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> just please don't do that. I think the yeah. new one is great. I had a lot of fun with it. I, you know, it actually snowed when I had it and it was great. And I just, it was delightful. I mean, I, 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 I didn't write a formal review on Rebecca drives, but I remember uh, writing some things on, on Instagram and I just, it's just a good car. I like the size of it a lot. I think that it's, you know, it's well-behaved. It's got that fun kind of Jeep feel to it. And, you know, again, I think the biggest thing is just that the previous one was terrible. This one I think is really good. I I agree with that. I think that uh, this is one of my favorite Jeeps actually is the Compass because it offers you a lot of what you get in something like the Grand Cherokee or the Cherokee. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just that really nice car-like, comfortable Jeep atmosphere. Uh, in a in a really tidy size, it drives really well. Um, it's I think it's related to the 500x, uh, which I also no. Really like. Oh, it's uh, not. I, no, I don't think I so. They were both compact US wide. Uh, Maybe I'm thinking of the Renegade. Um, the Ren- yeah, the Renegade, yeah, the is, Renegade is on the same chassis as 500x. Uh, e- this is this is based on the Cherokee, smaller version of the Cherokee platform. Okay. E- either way, like. It, it was such a quantum shift from the <laughs> the original uh, Compass, which was not, Ugh, good. not um, good. I like it a lot, but I, I think that while we are a podcast that focus, you know, we, we focus a good amount of our attention on new cars and we get to drive the new cars and that's all fun. And we want to, you we want the manufacturers to be successful uh, so they can continue to uh, enable our, our fun thing here. Uh, it's not necessarily the best time to to even contemplate buying a car. So, I, like, I would suggest look seriously at you know, do you, are you stable? Do you think that you're going to be stable? And what's that payment going to be? Um, and and what you know, do you have money saved up? Is it better to keep that money saved up? You know, like uh, if you're if you're sitting yeah. on some some cash, yeah, you may want to might want to stay sitting on some cash. Um, and this is at one least of the for things, a couple more months. Yeah, this is one of the things that I think is actually going to uh, become more important in our our culture. Right, we had a consumer culture for a very very long time, and we're having right now a very large shock to the system. And I expect if economy wise we we enter a period where uh, of recession, um, the maintenance culture is going to sort of be have a renaissance uh and so you're gonna see people fixing stuff that they normally don't you're gonna see people keeping cars even longer we already keep cars for 12 years uh on average so uh, look at what you've got and what it needs and put maybe maybe just put the money into that in case you know things hit the skids and you might uh you might need that money for for something else a car is a fun thing to spend money on it's not necessarily a wise thing to spend money on i know <laughs> that seems really really strange for us to say but uh we want you listeners to be able to eat <laughs> that's right 
I feel like a dad now. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, that's, that's great advice, you know, and I, I agree a hundred percent, you know, so it, you know, as Rebecca said, if you can, if you can manage, you know, if you do need to buy something right now, if you can manage the payments on a shorter term loan, that's always a better thing to do. And then, you know, um, if you, if you can wait a little bit, that's probably a really wise thing to do yeah. right under the current circumstances. I mean, I think a Jeep dealer would be happy to give you a very oh, yeah. good price on a Compass right now oh, today. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, if you do decide to buy, you know, the, the Compass is a, a great, you know, compact utility. Yeah, you know, I like it a lot. And, yeah. And, you know, and even, you know, if, if you're going for the, the higher end, like the Trailhawk, you know, if you want something with serious off-road chops, I mean, Rebecca and I have both driven, you know, the Compass Trailhawk. You know, that was on, a riot at, at, the, <laughs> at, the, at the Chrysler Chelsea, Chelsea Proving Grounds, uh, you know, on our off-road trail. I mean, you know, that, this is a vehicle that can go almost anywhere. You know, yeah. it's it's very, very capable. It was shocking how good it was. Yeah. I mean, you can't really put a plow on it. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is a small plow that would probably work. But I, I don't oh, know my gosh. That. It would probably look really cute. It'd be uh, awesome. Like a Betty Crocker kitchen plow. <laughs> my, my first snow plow. Uh, um, all right. Uh, okay. okay. What other, we had a bunch of other questions. Uh, uh, yeah, but I think, you know, we've been going for about two hours Here now. We have. I, oh, gosh, I, wow. I, I think that's, I think that's good for this week. Okay. Well, well you know what? I'll, I'll tear through the questions on the Twitters then so that people don't feel left out and maybe we can, um, we can address them next week. That sound yeah. uh, like a plan? Sounds, sounds like great. a good plan. All right. All right. Uh, Stay safe and stay healthy, everybody. And, uh, you know, if you got a got a couple of minutes to spare, you know, shoot us a a rating on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen that you can rate us on. And, uh, you know, see you next time. Yeah. Stay in touch. We're going to go bake bread now. (laughs) (laughs) Stay healthy. Yep. Cheers. Bye. Bye.